0: Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and in our walk with Christ. We're glad you joined us for this episode of Behold Your God. It is a study from the Gospel of John about the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come today to John chapter 13. And I'm calling this episode, Love is a Verb. There was a book by a Christian pastor and author years ago, Warren Wiersbe, and that was the title of his book. I like that, so we're going to use that title for this episode today. Now we have mentioned that in the Gospel of John, well over half of the Gospel of John, almost 60%, I think it's actually fifty-seven percent focuses on one week in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the what we call the Passion Week, when He was betrayed, uh, tried, crucified, buried, resurrected the third day, and within that one week there are five chapters in the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17, that concentrate on one night in that week, the night of the Lord's Supper and the betrayal of the Lord and his, the beginning of His trials. So we are in a very critical part of the Gospel of John. John's ultimate goal and mission, his aim, is that those who read his gospel will believe in the lord jesus christ as their savior and lord so i'm glad you joined us today and let's get right to it let's go to the gospel of john chapter 13. let's begin in verse 1. now before the feast of the passover when jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, He riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So, here in these first several verses of john chapter 13 we see that the hour that the lord had said earlier in the gospel had not yet come that his hour was not yet come it is now come this is the time that he is to accomplish his mission as savior and lord and he loved his own that is with an agape love a God kind of love, a love that, that is self-sacrificial, a love that loves the person loved, not because that person is lovable, but because the one who does the loving is sacrificially loving. I know that's a big concept, but I want you to let the Lord open your heart and mind about that. One person defined agape love as doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason. And that's a pretty good definition. Well, the Lord loved his disciples, and he loved them to the uttermost. And when they entered the upper room, there should have been a servant there to do basic politeness, be a good host, I guess you could say, and wash their dusty feet from their travels before they had the last supper. Now, I don't know if there was no servant there, because it was an upper room they were using, or if that servant did not do that, I don't know. But anyway, it wasn't done, and many have made a great deal about the fact that it wasn't done, and the Lord did it himself, and and that may well be, but I think the biggest point here is, yes, it should have been done earlier, and maybe one of the disciples should have gotten up and done it, but the Lord did this on purpose to show great leadership as a servant leader, but I want you to know, friends, that Jesus Christ is far more than a servant leader He is our servant Savior. And not only did He humble Himself to do the simple task of a servant in washing the feet, but He humbled Himself when He laid aside His prerogatives as God, in essence laid aside His glory to come to earth to be our Savior. And so there's a, an awful lot of symbolism in here. And I, I want you to just meditate on some of those things. So he gives them this example and he says to Peter, you know, Peter's basically saying, I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. You know, in essence, uh, Lord, we should be washing your feet is, is really, I, I think, that's kind of what was starting to hit them or it should have. But anyway, the Lord did this for a very symbolic reason. If you're saved and you sin, you don't need to be saved again. You're already saved, but you need to confess that sin and receive cleansing and move forward. Years ago, I heard a great illustration of this. I believe it was in a setting of an army camp um, in in a war zone. And there was one shower area that all the soldiers used. And then, of course, they all had their, their huts with the, the bunks and sleeping bags and all of that. And so when they would go to this shower area to shower, by the time they walked from the shower back to wherever their, their hooch was, their feet would be dirty again. And so they would have to clean their feet off when they got back to where they were gonna sleep for that night uh, in the base camp anyway. that is a great illustration. They didn't need to take an entire shower again, right? They needed to just clean their feet that had gotten uh, dirty or muddy from walking through this world. And that is a great symbolism for us today as believers. But the Lord is is trying to teach them on so many levels right here. I can't even cover every level, but I hope that some of these things are dawning on you as I do this. Now, he had an even greater purpose in doing this this way. And we see this begin to unfold. And listen, friends, I'm excited about this section of John Uh, 13 through 17 especially, it's as if um, spiritually we are beginning to enter into the holy of holies and really see what God is like. God loves you so much that He lays aside His glory. Christ loves you that much that He humbled Himself to serve you with agape love, God's kind of love, so that you might trust in him and be saved. But there's even more to this than just that. So the Lord here is not, uh, he's not ringing up Pharisees here. He's not arguing with the rulers at the temple and he hasn't healed anyone here in this room. And now, though, what he's doing is he's he's really dialing it in. He's really focusing like a laser on, on pouring into these disciples. And we would say the 12, except as we'll see in a moment, there were really only 11 disciples that would allow him to pour into them because they were saved or or would be, as we think of that, after the cross. But Judas had rejected him as being the Savior and Lord, as we'll see. So let's go to verse 13. Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. Now, by the way, I just have to stop right here. If you've been raised in a faith tradition or in the lack of a faith tradition and you think that Jesus was not God or you think that Jesus was a good man, maybe even a godly man, but not the God man, or you think that Jesus was a great prophet or a great teacher or perhaps you're a new ager, and you're listening, and you're thinking, well, Jesus was certainly one of the masters, an ascended master, and all of this kind of stuff. Hey, everybody on all that, knock it off. That's not what Jesus says about himself. That's not what the Gospel of John says. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus says right here, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. Now, listen, if Jesus only thought that he was only a man, uh, that he was only a prophet, only a great teacher, blah, 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 he would have never said verse 13. But he doubles down in verse 14. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. That is, blessed, you have a a joy that is unaffected by circumstances. Happy are ye if ye do them. You see, it is not enough to know about Christ, it is not enough to know Bible facts or even, you know, Bible truths and things that you should do. The Lord says here, if ye know these things, happy, blessed are ye if ye do them. Verse 18, I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. So the Lord quotes a messianic psalm, part of one right here. Verse 19. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that, oh, let's see here. (laughs) I'm sorry. Let's see. He that receiveth me, let, let me reread that. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. So the Lord here is is beginning to introduce a a very difficult subject here to the disciples, one at which I'm sure that they just could not possibly imagine what he was talking about and where this night was actually going to lead so let's break it down here he says that that you you call me master and lord and then he says at the end of that verse so i am you if i'm your lord and master do these things and then you should do these things for one another and now i don't think this is my personal opinion i don't think that foot washing is given here as an ordinance of the church like baptism and the lord's supper but it's certainly not wrong to do it and i'm not criticizing that but even for those who do practice that on a regular basis, this is the main point I want to make right here. People can do that action, but what the Lord is aiming at here is the heart that from which the right action should spring, and that is if we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we should love one another just as He loved the disciples that that example that he sets, we should also emulate, we should copy shamelessly from the heart. That is, if the Lord Jesus Christ, being God, was willing not only to come from heaven to be our Savior, but even right here literally in this upper room, in the Middle east, in Jerusalem, on Passover Eve, would take his outer garment off, tie a towel around himself, and do the task of a menial slave, what heart of love that must be, that same heart he wants to impart into us, that we would love one another, love the brethren, love the disciples in that same way. I want to give you a somewhat modern example of this. Many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire or read the book about Eric Little. The uh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I believe he was a Scottish runner and he won Olympic gold, and he honored God in the process of doing that. Great movie and a great book out written about him. The rest of the story is when he followed the Lord Jesus Christ to the mission field in the Pacific, he was captured by the Japanese Imperial Army, and he was imprisoned with many other Westerners, Americans and British and and many um, Asian nationals and so forth in those camps. The camps were brutal. Eric Little, without being told to or made to, humbled himself like Jesus even to be being found in the form of a servant like Jesus and Eric Little the Olympic gold medalist humbled himself to the point that he voluntarily took charge of cleaning the toilets, the latrines of the prisoners. And I, if I remember correctly, the camp was wracked with dysentery. This was simply a humanly impossible task. But Eric Little emulated the example of the Lord Jesus Christ in serving the very practical needs of of everyone in the camp, all of the prisoners. But I'm sure there were many Christians among them, but also many that were not. Eric Little died in that Japanese prisoner of war camp. My friends, love is a verb. Love takes action, and it takes the right action at the right time for the right reason. So we see the example of Christ right here, and we see in more recent history the actual example of Olympic gold medalist and missionary for Christ, Eric Little. Let's continue here. Verse 21, now the Lord has reasons far deeper than we can even understand right now for why he's done and said everything that he's done on this night. So we're sitting almost as eavesdroppers in that room. We we should not even be in this room because the Lord Jesus Christ is there. The disciples are there. And in verse 21, Jesus begins to speak. Verse 21 in John 13. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another Doubting of whom he spake. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. And we believe, by the way, that is the apostle John who wrote this gospel. Of all the disciples, even, even of the three in the inner circle, uh, James, John, and Peter, John seemed to have the closest relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 24, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. Now, no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him for some of them thought because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast or that he should give something to the poor. He then having received the sop went immediately out and it was night. My friends, I think that it is no coincidence or accident here that the Holy Spirit led the Apostle John to write that last phrase, it was night. When Judas went out, obviously it was literally figure, uh, spirit, uh, you know, time wise, it was night, but spiritually, in the spiritual realm, It was as dark as it could ever be because now Satan had maneuvered Judas to the point that he not only had put into the heart of Judas to betray Christ, as we saw earlier in this very chapter, but now once Judas received that sop, uh, fulfilling that that, uh, one that, ate my bread will lift up his heel against me that Jesus quoted from the Psalms is literally fulfilled right here. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. So now Judas is fully given over to evil and Satan is literally possessing Judas Iscariot. So for sure, when Judas went out, it was night. Oh, my friends, we're in, as I've said, as it were, the holy of holies of the gospel of John. Let the gravity of what we have just read and heard linger. Verse 31. Therefore, when he was gone out, and I want you to think about something, Jesus Christ even washed the feet of Judas Iscariot. Wow. Maybe you're listening today and you're not sure with your life of sin, your hatred of God, of everything that's righteous, or your simple indifference to the things of God. You're not sure that if you turn to the Lord now that he would take you. Maybe it's too late. I want to say again, Jesus washed the feet of Judas Iscariot, who only moments later would be literally indwelt by Satan and betray Christ. Therefore, verse 31, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you. Now, by the way, who can give commandments but God? A new commandment, I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. This is that agape love that doesn't love. In other words, we, we are not to love one another as, as believers in Christ because, you know, I, I love you as a brother in Christ because you're just so lovable or that you love me as a brother in Christ because I'm just so wonderful. Actually, neither of us are, right? But you, love is a verb, and you sacrificially do the right thing at the right time for the right reason toward me, and I do the same toward you. That's God's kind of love. That ye love one another doesn't mean that, that you have to have good feelings about each other all the time. Actually, when we love as God loves, sometimes it doesn't feel that great. Most of the time it does. But sometimes we will have to sacrificially serve others just as Christ lowered Himself to serve the disciples by washing their feet, and it won't be, uh, you know, sunshine and lollipops. Often, at least sometimes, it's hard. A new commandment is not a suggestion, it is a requirement. A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Now, here is a great promise, and I think also the great reason that Christ is instituting this new commandment for those who believe in him. Verse 35, "...by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples." if ye have love one to another. That is, we will be looking like him. We will be loving like him. We will be sacrificing ourselves like he does in serving one another and and serving even those who don't know him yet. You see, when people in that Japanese prisoner of war camp saw Eric Little lowering himself to the point of scrubbing hideously filthy latrines in a disease-ridden camp full of not only disease but death. It reminded them of someone greater than Eric Little the Lord Jesus Christ. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. That word there, love, is the agape kind of love, not not any, any syrupy emotional sentimentalism. That's not what's talked about here. You may feel that way toward other believers, but you may not. I bet when Eric Little scrubbed those toilets and scrubbed those filthy latrines, I, I just have a hunch it wasn't all that enjoyable and it wasn't a great emotional experience, at least in a positive way. "'By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples.'" if ye have love one to another. As I've grown, hopefully, in my Christian life, I'm going to be 63 soon. As I look back, I realize how little I really know of what sacrificial love is. But I can see that the Lord has been forming me and conforming me to himself that hopefully there's at least a glimmer about my life and about who I am that that uh, mirrors in some way the sacrificial love of Christ. But, uh, but if there is, I have not created that. It is the love of Christ and his life in me. Now would could I get agreement here? Would you agree with me that the, the teaching here is on a very deep, intimate level? Judas is gone, baby. He's out. The only people left in this room, the other eleven, are believers. Maybe not very strong ones, but they are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, sometimes even as believers, we can be a little slow. I certainly can. How about you? Verse 36. Now, the Lord has been teaching on a very deep level up through verse 35. Peter is still stuck way back there (laughs) <laughs> way back where the Lord said that that where I'm going, you cannot come. Peter got stuck there. I don't know how much of what he, the Lord said here he really, really, really heard. I would say, why do you say that? And I'm not making fun of Peter. He was crucified upside down at his own request when he was executed by Rome because he was, in his opinion, He said about himself that he was unworthy to die the same way the Lord died, upright on a cross. So there's no criticism in my heart for Simon Peter, but I just make a note here of what he said. Verse 36, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? (laughs) Jesus answered him, whither I go? Thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Have you ever loved someone so much uh, as a friend, let's say maybe in grade school or high school or college, or maybe an army buddy, you know, uh, somebody maybe you work with for many years. And, uh Eventually, it came to a fork in the roads where, a fork in the road rather, where uh, their their life trajectory took them in the direction they needed to go, and yours took you where you needed to go, and and that relationship, uh, you know, as far as being in the same workplace, going to the same school, being on the same sports team, being in the same church. It just would no longer be there that same way. I think this is what Peter and the disciples were starting to feel. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And I believe, friends, here in verse 37, when Peter said this, I just do not hear him boasting. I think this is from a broken heart because for three years, Peter had left the nets and the fish and the boats and all of that behind and literally followed the Lord Jesus Christ all over Israel. He had seen things done by the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ that had never been done before in human history. Healing people born blind, raising people from the dead, even like Lazarus who had been dead four days. Peter had heard the depth of teaching from the Lord Jesus Christ in his parables, where the Lord would use the parable publicly, but he would only explain it privately to the disciples. Peter had gone to the mountaintop with James and John and seen the Lord transfigured, where for a brief moment in time he actually was Clothed with that glory that he had in heaven before he came here as the God-man. And it was simply overwhelming. And all of that was about to stop or change. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. These were devastating words, I'm sure, to the Apostle Peter. It was unimaginable, and yet the Lord told the truth. And I think deep in his heart, deep down inside, Peter knew that it was right. But in so many ways, Peter had come to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and the idea of him not being with them anymore where was he going what what did this mean what was going to happen it was simply overwhelming listen as we close out this brief portion of what I call the upper room teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I don't call it that, but I mean, that's what it is called. Uh, The upper room discourses, that's what many call it. But as we think about this like it's the Holy of Holies, we simply are overwhelmed with what the Lord shares here. But his overarching point is that this love of God flows from Christ to Christians and from Christians to Christians and from Christians to the world at large. This is what makes men stop and realize the gospel is true. Jesus is real. Because men and women on their own don't live and act in love sacrificially. And it reminds people of, it points people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's much more to go in this upper room and we'll go to John 14 in our next episode. I'm so glad, as I said earlier, that you have taken a few moments today to tune in to This Week in the Word and listen to this episode. If you are not sure that you are a Christian, or perhaps you know that you are not, but you would like to know more, you would like to find out how to become a Christian, or you're ready to do that, I want to give you a free telephone number where you can speak with someone who will help you They'll answer questions. They will provide free information for you. And don't worry, it's not a cult or anything like that. It's just good Bible help and Bible information to help you become a Christian or to even grow as a Christian. So I'm going to say this number twice, 888 537 8720 888 8720. Call that number, and most of the time, you can even chat with someone about becoming a Christian or living as a Christian, and you can get the help you need to become a Christian. I thank you so much for listening today. I hope you will help me spread the word about this week in the word. Remind people that they can find it at www.dredhill.podbean.com. That's d-r-e-d-h-i-l-l dot p-o-d-b-e-a-n dot com. There's no period after the DR. Dr. DrEdHill.Podbean.com is the home of this week in the Word. And I thank you again for listening. May God bless you richly this week is my prayer. If you would like to email me, you can do so at PastorEdHill at gmail.com or you can even message me through this app. Thank you so much.